Well, good morning everybody. Is it not just lovely to be here this Sunday morning in God's presence? God, God of the universe. And you know, I welcome everybody, but I particularly welcome, and, and I often say this, I try and not forget it, I particularly welcome those who are here maybe with a heavy heart this morning. Because if there's anywhere you need to be in the world when you've got a heavy heart, that's in the presence of God, be your brothers and sisters. Right? You might not feel that you want to be, but it's the best place to be. It's a great place to be because God is the, the great phrase, God is the lover of our souls. And the one thing when you're carrying a heavy heart is nine times out of ten you feel alone. You feel alone and you feel lost. And you just want somebody to take it for you. And sitting in his presence and weigh him. There is no other finer place to be than that. So I welcome you here this morning specifically, especially. And I thank you for being here. Now, the scripture this morning, folks, is from First John. I always like it when they say something like that because everybody goes, First John, I know that's up the back somewhere. That's up the back of the book. It's up the back of somewhere. James is near it somewhere and all that. <laughs> so it's First John. It's First John 4. First John 4 and it's from verses 7 to 21 so First John 4 verses 7 to 21 dear friends let us love one another for love comes from God everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we, may like, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear God, since, since dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they are in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brother or his sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. 
And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. This is God's word and may he bless it to our hearts, not just for today but forevermore. Well folks, there's a whole lot of loving going in that piece of scripture. Because you just you think when you read it, you go, right, I've got I've got that verse, and it moves on to the next verse, and you go, Oh no, there's more loving. And it's, it's a different type of loving, and it's more and it's love, 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 love. And even if you don't get the full theological stuff behind it, if you leave that, you know you're walking away with what it's about. It's about love. That piece of scripture's about love. Incredible piece of scripture, lovely. All scripture's incredible, but I always get this when I'm working on a piece of scripture. It seems like it's the most amazing piece that I've ever read or worked on at the time. Because I've usually never understood it that well. Now this comes from the first letter of John. Now this was written about AD 90, roughly about 100 years. They reckoned that John lived for about 60 years after the death of Christ. Now, we don't know exactly what age John was. So John could have been in his 20s or 20 when Jesus died, so that would make him about 80 when he roughly wrote this letter, wrote about this time. And he wrote it in a place called Ephesus, which is in Turkey today. Um, I had the um, good blessing and fortune to be in Turkey, and I managed to get to Ephesus uh, and see it and sat there. Um, one day, and actually I read Paul's letter to the Ephesians while I was sitting there. It was quite an amazing feeling, because they've still got the street in the area where, the, where they all talked and spoke with the philosophers and all that, so it's quite, it's quite an impressive place. And in John's letter there, the strange thing about it, it doesn't open up like a normal letter in, in, the, in the scripture. It doesn't say a letter from Paul, blah 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 blah, to so and so. There's no introduction. There's nothing like that. There's no indication inside the letter to say who wrote it or who it's to. But it's clearly written to people that he knew. It's clearly written to them. And he refers to them and us and we and my children and my friends. So he's close with them. But he also, through the letter, he talks about them, (laughs) they, and the others. And it's the people that he's writing the letter to protect him against because there's controversy going on in Ephesus and the church and run about at a time. Not in Ephesus, to the people he's writing the church to. So that's basically what it's about. And you can imagine that with his emphasis on that part there about love, there must have been a lot of battling going on. There must have been a lot of bad blood going on in the church that he's writing to at the time. So that gives you a wee background to the letter on that. Let's bring it up to date here. Anyone familiar with a phrase or a, a name of a thing called Godwin's Law? I love it when I pull these wee things out of nowhere. Godwin's Law. Godwin's Law. Right? Godwin law, Godwin's Law is a pretty modern day thing. Um, it's connected with the internet. There was a guy called Dave Godwin who who when the internet first started and there was discussion groups and forums and all that, he noticed something. See the discussions and debates and arguments that went on online? He noticed that sooner or later, when two people were arguing or debating, at some point, somebody was accused of being a Nazi. Or being like Hitler. Or one of them, right? It's a pretty common thing if, you, if, you're, if you're online and that, that, that's what. So people are having a debate back and forth, back and forth. And the one that's usually losing will say online, I, I mean, that's what the Nazis said. 
right? Or the Germans, or something like that. And that, that he noticed this, and he'd done research on it. And sure enough, this was, this was true. But sooner or later, at some point, somebody referred to their opponent as being a Nazi. Or something to do with Hitler. That's what Hitler said. And the idea behind that is to shut down the argument. I'm losing the argument, so I'm going to shut it down by referring to you as the most repugnant kind of group, the Nazis of World War II. Right? So if anybody ever uses that argument on you, <laughs> if anybody ever says when you're winning the argument and they go, ah, but that's what the Nazis said, said, you've just lost this argument because you don't have anything else to say. Strangely enough, there's a, a similar method of closing down Christian discussion that uses a piece of scripture in a similar fashion. And you'll be amazed what it is. It's a part of scripture. It's the second part of, of John 4 right there. It's the bit that says, God is love. You're probably saying to yourself, how does that shut down an argument? How does saying God is love shut down an argument? Now I've been in situations, some of you might have been and I'll, I'll try and give you an idea behind it. There's one area of life that when Christians are discussing it, either with non-Christians or Christians, um, that that phrase is often used. And it's, a, it's in the area of sexual morality or behaviour. Right? So you, you're maybe as a Christian, you're give you an example from my dim and distant past. Christian friend. And he had been married. He was in the process of getting a divorce. And he was seeing other women. But a professing Christian. So it's my duty to say to him, big fella, I don't know what you're doing here, but you're turning up at church and then you're going to be in behaving like that. And his response to me was, but the particular girl that he was seeing at the time was, but I love her. And I pointed out to him and said, Look, you know as a Christian, your behaviour, you can't behave like that. It's clear, God is very clear in the scripture, that kind of immoral behaviour is not acceptable. But I love her. How many have heard that line of it? But I love her, or I love him. That's all good and well. Your behaviour is still wrong. Ah, but wait a minute here, if I love her and God is love, then it can't be wrong. Taking a piece of scripture completely out of context and using it to shut down an argument. Right? And, and I've, I've experienced it quite a few times. It came up quite a lot during the, shall we say, the development of the, 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 the same-sex marriage thing. Right? When that was going on. Two men can love each other, two women can love each other, and if God is love, well, who can be against it? Do you see what I mean here? It's used to shut down debate because it's taken right out of context and it's not properly understood. And hopefully today I'll be able to, 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 to bring out something because when I saw it I thought, oh, this is, this is incredible. So if, if God is love doesn't mean what those people say it means, what does it mean? Because that's quite a strange, God does love. That's quite a short, that's quite a short statement to describe the God of the universe. What does it mean? I found when I was working through this and I thought, well, I need to ask the question, what is it? What is this love they're talking about? 
Is the love of God an emotion? Because we're all familiar that love to us is an emotion, it's a human emotion. Hope nobody gets disappointed here. The love of God isn't an emotion. It's not an emotion. Right? The simple reason is emotion is a human thing. And emotion is uncontrollable for us. We, we can't control our emotions. Yes, we can stifle them, we can push them down, we can ignore them, we can try and thing with them. But we can't stop them. We get angry. <laughs> you know, we get all these different things, we, we, we feel love and all that. They take over us, they control over us, they overwhelm us. God doesn't have that experience of being overwhelmed by something about himself. So God's love isn't an emotion. And that's what these people, when they have the arguments, they try and mix up what human love is and God's love. They're, they're different. They're different. So God's love isn't an emotion. God's love isn't like romantic love. And for the reason behind that is, romantic love is drawn out of us by something in someone else. God's love isn't like that. Because there's nothing in us. To bring in to him. There's nothing in us. And I know we don't like that. We're human beings. We like to think we're the centre of everything. But we don't have anything that he needs. And there's nothing in us that impresses him. So God's love isn't romantic love either. You've all heard the phrase, is, God, is love blind? Is love is blind? Yes, we know that. Right? Human love is blind. The people that we, we, we fall in love with or we choose to love, they have flaws and shortcomings that we choose to ignore. God's love isn't like that. God doesn't ignore our shortcomings and flaws. And if you don't believe me, just read the story of the people of Israel. That's the people that God loves, God chose. But when they started coming up short, he soon sorted them. So... God's love isn't blind either. So it's no emotion, it's no romantic love, and it's no blind. So what is God's love? When it says God is love, what does it mean? Well, the truth is, God is love is a summing up statement of all that God is. It doesn't mean God is just love. God's so much more. But it's, it's, it's this, look at it, God is love. Three words, but it sums up the God of the universe. It's a summing up statement of all that God is. Because God is so much. He's so much. The Westminster Catechism, it puts it like this. God is a spirit. Infinite. Eternal. And unchangeable in his being. And his wisdom. And his power. And his holiness. And his justice. And his goodness. And his truth. He's eternal and infinite in everything. There's no end. There's never an end to him. Mass. Incredible. Right? So you, we carry walk about all day going, and God is infinite, eternal, and he's good, and he's justice, and he's holy. Scripture writer brings it all down. God is love. God is love. Everything that is perfect and good is in God. God is love. But here's the knockout punch for us. You see, because God was always like that. Even before we came into existence, God was like that. Amazing. 
The God who is eternal, infinite, and his justice, goodness, holiness, truth, wisdom. Took all that. Took all that. All that he is. And directed it to one of us. Can't believe that. Everything that God is. With no end. He brought together. To one us. To one you. To one you. To one me. To him. That's what it means when it says God is love. The big question for me when I was looking at this. And when God was helping me. Was. God. You massive infinite size. And beauty and goodness. And kindness and graciousness. How did you fit that into one in me? How did you. How did you get that. To me. Because I can barely hold that thought. For any longer than two seconds. How did you use that to get me? And it's really, really clear. Verse 9 in that piece of scripture tells you. How did God bring his love to focus on me? This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God took everything that he is. Everything. All that hugeness and beauty and grace. Put into Jesus. In Jesus. He is the only begotten Son of God. All that, that I mentioned to you, Jesus. The walking, talking God. God in the flesh, or as it says now, God's love incarnate in flesh. That's who Jesus is. He's not a teacher. He is, he does teaching. And he's not a good guy. And he's not a moral guy. He is God. God's love standing there in front of us. That's who he is. And we'll see shortly how God's love acts, how it works, how it works to bring us to us. But before we go there, we need to ask another question. That's what God's love is, and his infinite wisdom and graciousness and truth. That's how he brought it all together in front of us, in Jesus Christ. Why would he want to do that? Why would God want to put everything that he has in Jesus and put him in front of us? Verse 9 tells you. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. We might live. That tells you something. We, we, we could potentially die that we might live through him. There's a threat of death in there somewhere. If Jesus isn't in the picture, we die. We die. And we're not talking about the body die and a coffin out of the ground. We're not, he's not talking about that. The death that he's talking about, or hinting at there, is the eternal death. Because see all that beautiful, what will we call it, that, the beautiful attributes of God that I've just spoken about there, Scripture speaks about. We don't deserve to be in its presence because you know all humanity has done since the Garden of Eden is rejected that God. We've just rejected it and rejected them and rejected them. An infinite, truthful, gracious, loving, kind God. We've, we've just eternally rejected them. Because the truth is, love does not naturally come naturally to human beings, no matter how much we try to kid ourselves. It doesn't. 
give you World War One, give you World War Two, give you the Vietnam War, the Korean War, the Irish Troubles, the Syrian War, the Iraq War, the Afghan War, the Boer War, the Roman Empire Wars. They need to give you any more. So anybody that tells you that human beings are naturally loving, my evidence says otherwise. And God wants to win us back from that. From those choices to him. And that's why he sent his son. Because those choices that we have made to destroy this planet and to destroy each other. And to reject God in those choices. There's a price to be paid for that. Do you remember what I said to you earlier? God's love isn't blind. He doesn't ignore what we've done. He doesn't ignore what we have done. There's a price to be paid. And God is perfect in his justice as well. And somebody's going to pay that. And God's brought it all together. And put in his son. And do you know what love is? Love is God saying to us. I will give my son to die for you. Love is Jesus saying on the cross, I will give my life to die for them. There's two beings here, there's two people here saying, I love you, I love you, and this is what I'm prepared to do for you. That's the offer on the table. When God put everything that he has in Jesus, he then had to watch us. Nail that beautiful human being. That amazing prince of heaven. To a cross. God had to watch that. What kind of love is it that can put up with that? Could any of you bear watching your child being treated like that? And not want to obliterate the people that done it? God watched that. So the next time you're in a debate you're in an argument with somebody who pulls God as love you know when you pull it and they say oh, in their sexual immorality or their behaviour or their general life and they go ah but you need to remember God is love you've got my permission to leave that discussion because they have just spat in the face of God because it's that cross you point them to you don't know what you're talking about when you use that phrase. And you can tell. That's not what God is love means. That cross is what God is love means. That's what it means. And you point them to that. See them. See people who use the God is love to cover their lifestyles. The image I had in my head, can you imagine a beautiful bride standing, right? It's a bride on the day of wedge, a lovely big wedding dress on, she's beautiful, and she's done some heavens there. That's with somebody coming up with a bucket of pig swill and filth and mud and just thrown it right about. When people use God as love to defend sinful behaviour, that's what they've just done. They've taken the cross that the father had to watch his son die upon. And the cross upon which the Son of God died on. And they've spat.
battered at it. So don't ever let them do that. Don't ever put up with it. And when you see God's, the scale of God's love on the cross, it leaves you with one big question. What do I do with that knowledge? That that is God's love? What do I do with that? How do I use that? How do I use it in my life? The passage is clear about it. Love one another. How about we look at the passage? Seven times in one form or another it says God is love. Love one another. It says seven times love one another. Love one another. It might say don't hate your brother and sister. It's just a negative way of saying love one another. And once you see the cross and the love of God has for us, you need to love one another. Because God has loved us to go through all that. We don't have the choice to do anything else. Big problem for humanity is how do you do that? How do you love one another? How do you do that? How do you, how do you show that love? Because our love tends to be a human love that's about selfishness, it's about what we can get. And there was six things jumped out, not just from that, but from other bits of scripture that we can show you about God's love. It's six images of God's love that can help us to understand how to love one another. Because I was a guy who came to church, right, and was a professing Christian. And I could tell there's at least three people in my life that I could honestly, if I was truthful, say I hated and was angry with. And it tells you in that piece of scripture, if you hate your brother, you do not know God. What a terrible place to be. What a terrible place to be. And it's only in seeing God's love as it is in images. The first thing is, God's love is his perfect goodness that he's used for our welfare and our well-being and to win us. Everything about God, everything that's good about God, for our well-being. Will you use everything that's good about you for the well-being of others? Particularly them that don't deserve it. God used his all, will you use your all? God's love isn't just about his perfect goodness. Because see, God could be perfectly good and just sit there, but God didn't do that. God's perfect kindness brought his love to us. You can be good. You can be a good Christian and sit in church and be good and no break the rules. It doesn't really help anybody out there. <laughs> You've got to marry the goodness to the kindness. The kindness is the vehicle that takes the love to the person. Will you be kind? Will you be kind? Will we be kind? The other image that came out was God's love isn't a feel-good factor and it's, it's tragically that's a lot of people get mixed up in faith with that. It's about feeling good. My experience with God is because he loves me I don't always feel good about me. I don't because he points out the stuff that I shouldn't be doing. So God's love isn't a feel-good factor that's just generally spread across the world God's love is personal and it's poured directly into each and every one of our hearts directly in it comes through the Holy Spirit he pours his love into us 
The truth of who Jesus is. The truth of Jesus' death on the cross. Because until the Holy Spirit brings that to life in our hearts, that's just a story. It's just a biblical story. It's when he brings it alive in our hearts. He makes it personal. God's love is personal. Are we prepared to be personal? To love others? Are we prepared to do that? Because that's scary. Maesties don't want to do that. We don't want to be personal. We want to love at a distance. Because most of our experience in humanity, love hurts. You get hurt when you reach out in kindness. Look at Jesus. Look at God. Reached out in love and kindness. Where did it take him? Take him to a cross in Calvary. But he was prepared to go that distance. And we prepared to go that distance. God's love is tied to the sinner's well-being. God's joy is tied to that person's well-being. Not because it has to be. God's chosen it to be that way. Read scripture. And the angels rejoiced with God. <laughs> the sinner returns. It's ha- God's happy when that happens. His joy is tied to a human being. And we, he's a father invested in his children. Are we prepared to invest in people? Are we prepared to invest everything, our emotions, our time, our love in people? Are we prepared to do that? Another thing, love is measured, seen and experienced in how much is given. You see love. You've seen how much people give. You see it. And I don't mean money. You see it. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God was prepared to give us everything, to get us everything. Are we prepared to give our all for God? Are we prepared to give our all or are we going to put limits on it? And the last thing is, is God's love brings us into relationship with him. It's about relationship with God. The sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. It's what brings us into a relationship with God. Are we prepared to go out there to bring people into a relationship with God? To give everything of ourselves to bring them into that relationship with God? That's what this is asking us. All these things. We don't engage in our human version of love. We engage in God's version of love. When it says love one another. I bet you never thought that was on that this morning. It's only a wee phrase. God is love. And that. What I've opened up this morning. Is no the full picture. Because God is beyond that. And nine times out of ten. When we preach about God's love. Nine times out of ten. is presented in a light and airy. And touchy feely and romantic way. The problem is. God's love isn't it. God's love is dense. And heavy and powerful. And it's that way for one reason. Because when he pours his love into our hearts, we all of a sudden become aware of how unworthy we are for it. The lightness in that comes later. When we are convicted by God's love initially. When we are convicted of how unworthy we are and how sinful we are. It's not a great place to be. But if you stick with it, keep walking and loving others, 
the lightness comes. The lightness comes. This is God's word and may bless it to our hearts this day. Amen.